Good morning. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I am going to take a brief moment to point out something that you may have just noticed if you're looking at your bulletin. I put the wrong verse, or I didn't change the verse from Mother's Day. And what that highlighted to me this morning, other than the fact that I need to double check my things, is how amazing Kristen is at her job. Um, and I'm embarrassing her probably, so don't look back. But uh, what a blessing she is, because honestly, look how beautiful the front of the bulletin is, and it matches that verse. And she just does these things. So if I wouldn't have made that mistake, I would have missed out on a blessing of understanding how much someone has my back in this role. So if you get a chance to affirm the job Kristen's doing today, please do so. And don't look back at her because I don't want to embarrass her. Oh, yeah, I agree. All right. So um, my hope for this summer is to go through the book of Acts. That's what I want to do with our summer. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the Gospels. I spend a lot of time in the Pauline letters. Uh, but I was named after a fellow that wrote two books. And this is one of them. Uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke. And oddly enough, the first thing he does is acknowledge the book of Luke right at the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, and before I get started, I want to hear your theory, but we'll never know if we're right. Luke is always writing to Theophilus, whose name means God lover, one who loves God. Is he writing to a man named Theophilus, or is he writing to the Church of God lovers? I would love to talk about that with you, with the understanding that we won't know. Have you ever thought about that, anyone? Given any thought to that? If I can make someone else obsess about that, I'll feel like I've done my job today. All right. Um, I am hoping to, attack, to uh, tackle the first 11 verses of Acts 1, which if you've been coming to church since I've been blessed to be your pastor, you realize that's not very much scripture for me. But uh, I'd like to go through Acts in bite-sized little pieces. If the sermon is shorter than an hour, some of you will celebrate, I know. Um, but I think it's more important that we get digestible pieces of scripture. So I'm going to try to be faithful to that. If I start going off the rails, I expect you will hold me accountable to that. And uh, I'm open to that. All right. This section of scripture in my Bible is titled Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of, that my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, <coughs> excuse me, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. There is a lot in those 11 verses, but it's also very straightforward in many ways. I'm going to go back to verse 7, which is a verse that I quote and I've always quoted since I became very frustrated with uh, <coughs> conflicting theologies, particularly uh, in the time I was raised within the church. Uh, there was an obsession with end times movies and books and uh, theories and ideas. Um, a lot of them are scripturally based. Some of them are almost scripturally based, and then some of them star Kirk Cameron. Um, and I think the most important thing that we can remember about what is going to happen. Now, please don't take that as me saying nothing is going to happen or that I don't think Jesus is coming back. In fact, we just read Jesus is coming back. I believe that. I affirm that. But something really, really important is said by Jesus, or yeah, is something really, really important is here is said by Jesus as he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. When God chooses to do things is none of our business. We don't know. We can't know. And if you need a little example to back up what I just said, think about your own life right now and in the past five years and the things that you've prayed for. How did the time scale look? Did it look like what you thought you were praying for? Or did it look like God's timing when it all played out? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that it looked like God's timing when it all played out because we don't know what we're talking about. Even when we think we do, we have no idea what we're talking about when we're like, God, I just need this to happen and I need it to happen now. And to which I sometimes feel like God says, wanna bet. I need this to happen right now. Well, no, you don't. You think you need it to happen right now. What you need is me and it's gonna happen the way I decided. And my experience thus far is it's better. It is just leaps and bounds better than anything I could have destroyed on my own. Because that's what I do under my own power and good intentions. Sometime I can draw you a diagram of my choices, the fallout of my choices, and then God using it anyway 
But when I act outside the will of God, which we will all do because we are all human and we're doing the best we can, okay? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? But when we go about it on our own, it all falls apart. Am I the only one that's experienced that? Okay, so I'm not the only one that experienced that. You know, the most interesting thing is so much of our life is building back that it can become somewhat frustrating. And I know that there's more than one person in here that's had problems with addiction. There's more than one person in here that's had problems with maybe the law. There's more than one person that's had problems. And even if you haven't had those problems, there's someone here right now that probably is on Facebook way too much. Or there's someone that might overeat a lot. We all have these issues. We all have these issues. And they all stem from the exact same thing. Is that we're trying to do things our way. In full candidness, I actually have a normal metabolism. I have a normal metabolism. I have overactive taste buds. I have a normal metabolism. My weight fluctuates based on whether I am being obedient to simple Pauline logic. And I'm not talking about Pauline Shelton, but the Apostle Paul. All things in moderation. That doesn't mean I don't get to eat a cheesecake if Marilyn makes one because I'm gonna. I just need to not eat the whole cheesecake when Marilyn makes one. And that's very difficult for me. But we all have things. And I, again, I'm being very candid with you. This isn't about me. But we do all have issues. And we have this reliance on God, not only in what God desires for us, but God's timing. One of the most self-destructive things, people that, uh, I'm not going to call it battle with weight, because there's not much fighting going on, right? But for those of us that are prone to grow larger, one of the worst things we do when we decide to change the way we eat is we set a date. We're going to like, I'm going to lose 30 pounds by this date. And I know this is a silly little example, but why wouldn't I just say I'm going to try to be healthier, and if God wills, I'll be smaller, Maybe some of those pants that I've refused to donate will fit again. The reality is they're probably all out of style by now, but whatever. I may shrink back down into a wardrobe that'll come back into style again someday, right? It's retro. Um, anyway, not to make this about weight loss, by any means. I'm using that as an example because it's not like you can hide that one, right? Everybody is a bottle of Febreze and cologne away from people not knowing they smoke, right? Everyone is mouthwash and a good night's sleep away from people not realizing that they might drink too much. If you eat too much, people just have to have depth perception. They're going to be able to tell. And that might not even be true. I know people that don't have great depth perception that can probably tell I've gained weight. Just spitballing here. I assume it's true. 
But we all have these issues. And instead of just looking for what is God's perfect will, because we have Bibles, and I would encourage you to read as much of your Bible as possible, because what you take in will come out in your life. Whether you're actively doing it or just changing the way you think, you should read as much scripture as you can. But on top of knowing what the right things to do are, I think we need to understand why we're doing it and to understand that God has a timing for things. And it's never going to be the same timing you have. Almost never. That was, that was a little definitive, probably. All right, but uh, verse eight, but when you receive, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that is a bit of a model towards how we could be or logically should be doing evangelism as a church. And I'm not saying if God is calling you to go to Africa, tell us, we want to support you when you do that. But when God, when Jesus laid out what growing the church looks like, he started with where they were. So, um, and I know I've heard Rob say similar things on more than one occasion. So what is our church doing in Spartansburg? What can we do in Spartansburg or Cory or whatever it is we live? Right? What are we doing here? And then what can we do for Crawford County and Erie County? Because I know we're very close to Erie County, but Crawford County. What, what are we doing in Crawford County to grow the kingdom of God? What are we doing in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to grow the community of God? What are we doing in America? What are we doing in the whole wide world? You don't have to go on a mission trip to do the work of God. It just becomes easier because no one knows you. It is really easy to do mission work when no one knows you. They don't know your backstories. They don't know your struggles. They don't know it. And it's also easier to help people that you don't know. Every year when we come back from SWAP, people say, why don't we do this at home? Because at home, you know why they didn't pay their bills. Right? You know their backstory, you know their family. You know the reasons why they didn't pay their bills and you know the reasons why so-and-so is in a wheelchair and maybe they're faking it. And, and they just want people to come repair their roof. And something interesting that I'm finding about that is it shouldn't matter to us at all. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, correct? I'm going to go ahead and just say, yes, I'm correct. Some of you have zoned out and that's okay. I'm probably droning. I got a little bit of a cold. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. What is the harm in giving someone a box of food if they secretly have a full pantry? Is there a harm in that? If someone needs a new roof on their house, but they could have secretly afforded it, but the church got together and put a roof on their house. Are we still blessed by that experience? I mean, I'll be terrified, but yes, so far, I can say you will be blessed by that experience. If I'm with Austin, he might not be blessed because I have a tendency to undo his work. I fell through one floor. And he had to redo the whole thing. 
in a crawl space in the Kentucky mud. But I was very blessed by that experience. I was also very blessed by his willingness to do it again. And he didn't even get mad at me. I was mad at me and my knee hurt. But I got so blessed just even when I mess up, sometimes there's a massive blessing in it because I get to see how people react. When people are actually following Christ and I can see the way they react to my mistakes. It's a huge blessing. Because honestly, it, in the wrong light or the right circles, if I fell through the work that you just spent three hours doing in the heat and in the mud, and maybe there was copperheads and you're crawling around under a house, you probably have the right to be a little miffed when someone just isn't paying attention and steps right through it, you might, you have probably the right to be upset. I don't think I would have reacted with as much grace as I received in that situation. And if you don't think that things like that impact you, I've been shot at a lot and I'm not worried about offending any of those people or I'm not worried about any of that. It's over. We're done. I still and baffled by the forgiveness that I received from someone when it was just like this minor offense. And I don't know how those two correlate, but they did in my brain for a moment, so it came out of my mouth. So if you're trying to track with that idea, I'm just saying I've been in very extreme circumstances where I've really offended people and they've really offended me or had the potential to. And I've seen sometimes where people just show me this extreme grace that I do not deserve. And if you know anyone that's in a happy marriage, they know exactly what I'm talking about because you will offend your partner. You will offend your spouse. Anybody willing to argue with that? Thank you. <laughs> you will offend the people you love the most. And the hilarious thing that happens, and it's not hilarious, but I tell people this in premarital counseling, that the stuff that you will break up for when you're dating isn't even an argument when you're married. And I don't know why that changes. But we do offend each other. And something that's really neat is you're usually just one great cup of coffee in a conversation away from having an even better relationship than you did before. You don't drink coffee, iced tea will probably work, but you're usually just a conversation and actually listening away from having a better relationship than you did before. And that's probably true in most relationships. The difference is, is you don't have paperwork involved when you don't want to talk to your friends anymore. You just stop talking to them. And I know marriage is a much deeper relationship. But I feel that it's probably that way with the people you're in church with this morning, because uh, logically, some of you probably have grudges against one another, probably some from before I was born. And you might not even know you're still holding on to it. But the reality is, is if you talked about it, two things are either going to happen. Either you're both going to realize it's not a big deal. Well, maybe three things. The second thing that could happen is maybe the person doesn't even remember. That's the most likely thing is they don't even know you're fighting. And the third thing that's going to happen, which is the beautiful thing that could happen, 
uh, is that you'll actually like apologize for me to each other and learn from it. And you'll never fall into that again. Don't waste the years of your life over stupid things. And personally, I love it when people apologize to me for things I don't even remember. Because you realize that it was a huge weight on them and they got to release it. And you're just like, no, we're good. That's happened a lot. I'm so sorry about that thing I said two years ago. And I'm like, I don't even remember having that conversation. But thank you for saying so. Like, Anyway. <laughs> But part of being a community, part of being a family and growing our church out, once you get past the idea that missions happen around the world, it's easier to think missionally, which is a big Mennonite phrase right now, is missional living. And I like it. But it's living as though you're doing missions. It's living as though God is already at work and you come in alongside what Christ is already doing and you just work with it. And that can happen in, in Spartansburg and it can happen in Cory. And then if you go on a trip, it can happen there too. As my friend Rick, who you saw a few weeks ago, likes to say is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you're going, life is happening. You don't check out of being a Christian just because you walked out of the church. Just as you're going, just do your best to show Christ to others. And what does that look like usually? I could say it looks like love. But even before you get to that, it looks like not being a jerk. How many times, and this is a real question, how many times have you been standing in line at McDonald's and not hidden your disgust from the human being that is standing between you and the deep fried almost potatoes? It's not even real food. But that interaction is more important to you than the kids standing in front of you. And I don't know why we do that. There's nothing wrong with expecting a service when you pay for it. Now, that's kind of the contract you have socially. But why do we devalue another human being over, I like their fries too, but over subpar food, right? You wanted it in less than 90 seconds. Clearly, you're worried about the quality. Why are, we, why are we devaluing human beings? And sometimes it might be right after church. Sometimes it could be on the way to Bible study, and we'll devalue another human being for their incompetence and extend them absolutely zero grace and feel fine about it. And I didn't know that I did it until I worked fast food. But I did it too. But next time you go into one of these horrible places that we all eat at, look at the looks on those people's faces. They don't need another person to kick them. They really don't. And if you see them do something good, tell them. It will change everything. And in fact, it'll even get you better service next time you're in there. But if you see someone's having a hard day, try to encourage them because the reality is you're not going to die if you don't get your food quicker. Nothing bad. There'll probably be zero ramifications from the fact that you got bad service. You have the opportunity to change someone else's day. 
maybe their life just by being nice. And I think that is equally important because no one cares what you know unless they know that you care. I can berate someone at McDonald's, then see them at church, and then try to tell them how this wonderful grace of God is, and they already know I'm a liar. Am I really a liar? No, the grace of God is incredible. But they already saw it in action in my life. They missed it because I was being a jerk. I think missions that start at home look with consistent they look like consistency. Not everyone is a smiler, not everyone is a people person, not everyone is a talker. You might still be able to smile or say that's okay. Because oddly enough it's probably okay. You don't have to be a doormat for everyone you come across just to show them basic human respect. You also don't have to agree with everyone to show them basic human respect. And I think that that is an incredibly powerful thing we can do as Christians is show people basic human respect as though you actually believe the scriptures that say they are made in the image of God. What if they're homeless? Well, they're still made in the image of God. Because as far as I read, Jesus was homeless too. And he was truly made as God. He was God. He wasn't made. I, he, he was birthed as God. See, I came very close to someone pulling out a heresy card and holding that up for me. Like, no, nope. <laughs> he wasn't created. Stop it. Um, anyhow, the last thing I want to say about this second or this uh, section of scripture is that the disciples are all standing there looking at the sky. Like, okay, is he coming back now? They're just standing there looking in the sky, and suddenly two men dressed in white, which we interpret to be angels, because I think that's, that's probably how you read it as well, correct? Anybody? Wow. Okay, so these two angels, I'm calling them angels. Please tell me if you think I'm wrong. That's fine. Two angels appear and they say, why are you looking to the sky? Don't you know he's coming back just the same way that he went? And there's two ways you, you can read that. The first one's obvious. Jesus is coming back from the sky. We're told that again and again in the end of Scripture. We, we, we affirm this. But what I kind of read between the lines there is, why are you looking at the sky? Go to work. Yes, he's coming back just the same way he went. But why are you standing there looking at the sky? He just told you, go, right? He just told you to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Which is the city, Judea, which is the area. The, the, I don't know, was Judea a country? No, it was the region, Judea. And then that neighboring one where everybody was considered filthy, Samaria, right? And to the very ends of the earth. Why are you looking at the sky? Go. Why are you cloistering? Why are you just waiting for Jesus to come back? And we still have that idea in church. For people like, I'm just glad Jesus is coming back. Well, me too. But one of the best phrases I ever heard is, it's a bridal party, not a rescue mission. 
Why are you just standing there waiting to be rescued? Go. Stop looking at the sky. He is coming back, but go. This idea has to go away in the church that it's to heaven with me and to hell with everybody else. Because that's what that is. Just looking at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come rescue us. And we're okay with all these lost people? That should bother us. Let's go and be Christ's witnesses. And then when he comes back, we can say, I was doing it. And you can expect to sit here, well done, my good and faithful servant, not, wow, so I called you to me and you stood there. And again, I am not in the camp of people that wants you to fear losing your salvation. I believe that God called you because he loves you and he holds you dear and he'll hold you tightly and you have blessed assurance that Jesus is yours. I'm not talking about your salvation, but if God tells you to do something, do it. And that's all I have, honestly. Um, that's the first 11 verses from uh, the book of Acts. And I know I went in some directions that were maybe not what you were expecting. But honestly, you know me by now. I, I'm God has blessed me with so many things, but the ability to follow a rational thought process so far hasn't been one of them. So as I chase these bunnies, hopefully you're able to glean something from it. And honestly, keep praying that I become a better pastor. I'm not sure if you knew this, but that's not actually a character trait people are born with is, oh, also I'm a pastor. Cool. I believe it's calling. I believe it's a blessing. I, I believe I, it's what I'm supposed to be doing now. I do believe all of that, but pray that I become a better pastor, right? I genuinely care about people. I genuinely love Christ. I genuinely love scripture. I want to tell you about all of it. Unfortunately, sometimes all at once, right? I have an amazing family. I have an amazing support system, but if you could just pray for my mind, I want to connect with you. I want to be able to tell you everything that Christ is showing me but I want to do it in a way that y'all understand and that you care about and where you're not wondering, I wonder if his medication is working today. And I can say with full confidence that some of them are. Anyhow, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me?